Hey there, everyone. Welcome back to Continuing the Call, a Seminary Dropout's Guide to Discernment. Today I'm joined by Father Evan Cummings. Father Evan is a Paulist priest who's currently serving at the Church of St. Paul the Apostle in New York City. He also serves as the Associate Director of Media Ministries over at Busted Halo. Father Evan is uh, really an expert when it comes to online evangelization. Uh, he even streams on Twitch, which is a video game streaming platform where he builds community and uh, shares the beauty and the message of the gospel through the medium of video games. My conversation with Father Evan covers all things from uh, his own discernment to what life and formation was like and uh, what he's doing now as a priest. I hope you enjoy this conversation. Uh, and as you're listening, please say a prayer for Father Evan and for all the Paulists out there. Uh, and as always, most importantly, for all those men and women who are discerning God's will for their life, uh, may we continue to support them in our prayers so that wherever they end up, they can keep encountering Christ uh, and also serving the church and you and I. So without further ado, here's my conversation with Father Evan Cummings. Well, Father Evan, thanks so much for joining us. Um, do you want to go ahead and introduce yourself a little bit, uh, and then we'll take it from there? Sure thing. My name's uh, Father Evan Cummings. I'm a Paulist priest. Uh, so I'm originally from Utah, born and raised, and started discerning when I was in college, uh, and wound up uh, joining the the Paulist order and the seminary uh, after graduating and was ordained in May of 2019. So I'm almost at my uh, five years celebration mark, which is exciting. Uh, in that time as a priest, I've served in Columbus, Ohio at uh, the Newman Center for Ohio State. And now I'm in uh, New York City at our mother church, St. Paul the Apostle, as well as Busted Halo, our media resource. Awesome. Perfect introduction. You hit on all the things that I want to dive into. Um, all right. Yeah. First and foremost, though, what's a Paulist priest, right? Go ahead and break down the charism, who they are, mm -hmm. the founder who has an amazing story. So give me the yeah. kind of uh, insider view of, of who the Paulists are. Yeah. So the Paulists, uh, we were founded in 1858 right here in New York City. We were actually the first order of uh, Catholic priests founded in North America. Um and our founder, Isaac Hecker, uh, as you said, he has an amazing story. I, I love his his story to death, and it was hugely impactful on me. Uh, he actually grew up in a nominally Methodist family. Uh, his parents were immigrants from Germany. Um, and he grew up in you know early 19th century America in a time when there was a, kind of a lot going on and a lot of change and a lot in flux. Um, and he was trying to find his place in all of it. And... You know, he tried out working in politics for a bit, but that wasn't really quite right. He he tried uh, transcendental movements, but they were good, but still kind of missing something. He eventually found his way to the Catholic Church, and he said, you know, if this is where I'm meant to be, I want to be a minister of this. I want to share this. Uh, so he wound up becoming a redemptorist priest, actually, um, who are themselves were only about 100 years old at that time, uh, having been founded in Italy by St. Alphonsus Liguori. Um, and he served in the in the uh, German-speaking missions in America, uh, serving to German immigrants. But he and his companions, who were all American, said, hey, how about we have an English-speaking house? We do English-speaking missions, and we could do amazing things here in this country. And the powers that be were kind of like, uh, you know, our mission right now is really to the German immigrants. Let's focus on that. And, you know, they were like, okay, we respect that. But also, we wanted to talk about this as a long-term plan. And so they went off to uh, to Rome and uh, in the process, Hecker actually got kicked out of the Redemptorists for doing that. Um, and so he was kind of spending three weeks in Rome, kind of, you know, head over heels of like, what what am I doing? What What's going on? I'm, I'm not a Redemptorist anymore. 
uh, in that time, he befriended a cardinal, and he wound up getting to meet the uh, the Pope, Pope Pius the Ninth, a couple of times, um, and wound up getting permission to be freed from his vows as redemptors as well as his his uh, confreres, so they could make something new. So he came back to America and founded the Paulists. Uh, and our mission from then has really been to evangelize North America, especially through means of technology and to speak to the modern culture. Uh, one of Hecker's great lines was that in union of the American uh, democracy and, and experiment and the Catholic faith, there is a future brighter than any past. That He really did see the two as, you know, being a Catholic makes you a better American and being an American can make you a better Catholic. They, you know, and again, in the mid 19th century, that was like, no, no, no. These things are total odds with each other. So he really was kind of very profound in saying that. Um, so he established a printing press. They did missions all around the country. Um, and we continue that tradition today. We actually still have the, the printing house, Paul's Press, biggest Catholic publisher in North America. Uh, but we've, you know, we've grown and expanded and we've responded to the needs of the age as well as the technology of the age to say, you know, how can we share the message with this culture? You know, how can we find that place of integration and that place of bringing true holiness to culture, calling out what we need to, of course, but also elevating what's already good. Uh, and so we've done radio production, we've done television production, we have a movie production company. Uh, we now have all sorts of internet production. So I do a lot of that with um, uh, Busted Halo. So we've had a radio show on Sirius Satellite for about 20 years now. We've had the website uh, for about a year now. I've been live streaming on Twitch. Uh, to kind of evangelize uh, the the gaming side of the digital continent. Um, and, you know, we do that in a number of ways, and we tried to do that just kind of in a day-to-day -day way as well in the parishes we serve, where it's like, you know, we want to to elevate what's good in the culture and also help people to navigate some of the questions and, and the, the gray areas and, you know, just really try and make america a wonderful and beautiful and christian place yeah i, I love it i love it the, the whole story in the background and um it's awesome to see rightfully so that uh father hecker is actually moving closer and closer to canonization i saw i think as of uh towards the end of last year it's uh mm -hmm. keeps rolling around um and it's awesome to see too when you have an order that um holds so close to their patronage right so of course you know having paul as that great figure and then you look at what the paulists have done through the years and like you're like oh this makes sense right it's one of those things mm -hmm. that's so clear um and it's awesome to see and um one of the reasons i was so excited to chat with you is i mean you the the influence of the paulists really can't be overstated um like if you've seen any catholic media it, taken in any sort of print or anything to do with media and evangelization the paulists are either directly or indirectly related um and so it's awesome to see um so now let's talk about that in your life where was kind of your first encounter with the paulists or i guess rather um how did you grow up I, I know you grew up catholic but kind of in a interesting household um when it comes to faith tradition so do you want to share kind of up until your encounter with the polis, what Catholicism looked like for you? Yeah, so I mean, as I mentioned, I grew up in Utah, um, and I was born and raised Catholic. And as you might imagine, being Catholic in Utah is not exactly a common thing, especially not in the early 90s when I was growing up. Um, I did not fully realize or appreciate what that meant, though, until college. Or, you know, I started understanding when I was in high school, but not really understand it fully when I got to college because I went to Catholic school. You know, my parents sent me to Catholic school, K through uh, senior year of high school. So I'm very blessed for that education and that experience. Um, but there was a, there is a sense in which you're kind of like, you're aware 
at a certain point that you're kind of an outsider in Utah if you're not of the LDS faith. Uh, and it's it's odd. Um, but by and large, you know, they are good people. Like, I don't want to, I'm not here to bash them by any means. You know, they are good people. They make good community. But you're also kind of aware of like, yeah, I'm not really like in the club. Um, so that was kind of my my faith experience. And, you know, growing up, I guess faith was always there. You know, I, I was very blessed that, you know, my mom was uh, cradle Catholic. My dad became Catholic when he was in college himself. He was raised uh, Baptist originally, but, you know, still Christian. Um, and faith was very important to the family that, you know, we pray before meals, we go to mass, we, you know, we go to the holy days of obligation, we do special prayers during Advent and Lent. Um, and so it just always kind of made sense to, to be Catholic. It just, there, there wasn't ever this grand moment of, of question or this grand moment of revelation. It was just always there. And I feel very blessed to have that. Um, now, what's funny is I didn't know who the Paulists were until college, but the parish I grew up in was actually founded by the Paulists. Wow. Uh, we we left about two years before I was born. But the the great thing is that I grew up as an altar server, and in the sacristy, there was a picture of the founding of the parish, and you know it was like Bishop so-and-so, and at the time, I didn't know what any of this meant, but you know it was Reverend so-and-so, CSP. Uh, superior general of the Paulist fathers. Um, never thought to look it up. Never <laughs> thought to ask a question. It was just like, cool, that's an old photo. I don't know what it means. Um, and then in college, uh, I went to study mechanical engineering. Uh, I thought the only thing I wanted to do in my life was to be a mechanical engineer, go work for NASA, go work on spaceships, you know, do something like that. Um the work of engineering homework kind of convinced me otherwise though i was uh i was not in love with what i was doing and i was kind of like is this all it is is this all i'm going to be doing is this what i want to be doing and so i started asking those kind of questions i wasn't really getting an answer right away um so i just kind of kept going through it but one day to avoid homework and again i was not consciously discerning religious life or priesthood at this point i was just you know, I, I had the, the open question in my mind of what am I doing? Um, but I pulled up the list of Catholic religious orders on Wikipedia because I knew it would be long. <laughs> I wasn't I was not actively discerning. I just, you know, growing up Catholic and knowing orders are a thing. But again, in Utah, there's not exactly a ton of them. I was like, OK, let's go down this list and let's avoid that strength of materials homework I really don't want to do. And I'm going down, and it's like, okay, Dominicans, sure, I, I've heard of them. They brought my dad into the church. Franciscans, sure, they love animals. I remember that from the VHS that they showed in Catholic school. And, oh, Jesuits, okay, yep, okay. Uh, Paulist. Paulist. Paulist? And I don't know what it was at the time, but it kind of got lodged in my mind, and it just got stuck there. Uh, and I think part of it was, one, the, the digital presence that the Pauls had, that it was very well laid out you know as you might expect from a group who do media that uh you know the wikipedia page looked good was succinct had good information the website looked good and i just kind of sat there and it was kind of like the holy spirit smacked me upside the head and said hey this is important this is going to be on the test pay attention um and so i wrestled with that for a good long while and i was like no 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 god is wrong god is wrong god is it feels like God is saying, maybe I should look into this, but I want to be an engineer. So gosh darn it, I'm going to prove it. I'm going to do another semester of engineering and I'm going to do great and I'm going to love it. Well, I did great, but I didn't love it. 
So I finally kind of was like, okay, God, I'm going to sit down and stop talking for a bit. And I'll let you talk for once. That's always so, a good place to be at is when you hit that point of, okay, God, <laughs> you you take over and, and we'll see what happens. Mm -hmm. And it was a slow process. I mean, I, I discovered the polis October of my sophomore year. I didn't actually talk to the polis until the end of the summer the following year. So, you know, almost a full year after discovering it and God being like, hey, you should talk to these people. It was like, you know, a year of active wrestling with God. But eventually, you know, I, I did get in contact with the vocations director and had good initial conversations. I went out to a come and see weekend, which was really a very good experience because uh, I was able to meet other young guys who were discerning both those thinking about the policy, but also those who had already joined recently and were, you know, around my same age and asking the same kind of questions and, and you know, being able to gain their insights and, and what formation has been able to help them with already. Um, and so I wound up switching my major to philosophy and um, graduated my senior year. And I was kind of at the point where it's like, you know what? If this is where I'm meant to be, why put it off? We'll we'll give it a try. We'll jump right in. And if it's not meant for me, then that's okay. I can I can say that I've given it a fair shake and and you know that I've done it. Yeah. Well, yeah. Here I am about <laughs> a little over a decade later. So, you know, I think yeah. it was for me. I know, absolutely. And that's awesome to see is like because I think that's the mindset, right? It's like there's almost like a like a weight lift off your shoulders when you finally just jump in and you say, all right, look, uh, you know, um, either way, there's no wasted time, right? You either mm -hmm. walk out of there in your case ordained and, you know, almost five years into priestly ministry and all the years in the policy before that. And you're like, yeah, wow, I'm glad I jumped in. But if not, like you said, you know, if you'd done one year, two years and you hadn't, um, the lessons in that also mm -hmm. would have helped propel you forward. So I love that. Um, mm -hmm. now, in that year or so that you said that you were wrestling, what what was it? What were you kind of wrestling with? What do you think? What were the like the the pros, the cons? I mean, was it a giving up engineering, or was it a I'm not worthy to be called a priest, or everything in between? Um, I mean, it was a lot of things. One was you know still kind of grappling with the sense of both. I I love engineer, and I still do love like, you know, the idea of engineering, and like I love seeing the news of like what's going on at the ISS and what experiment NASA is doing and the James Webb telescope and all that stuff. So it was kind of wrestling with like, I have this great ideal of what I love, but also the day-to-day -day life I am finding extremely tiring and unfulfilling. And, and the thought of doing that forever basically just seems insurmountable. Um, I think part of it too was that, you know, the thought of marriage um you know i i think particularly growing up in utah where marriage is you know i mean obviously in all of america marriage is a norm but like the culture of utah is especially emphatic on marriage and so that was just kind of like always in the background of like well i'll get you know growing up it's like well i'll get married one day that's just what you do and to kind of come to terms and be like huh but what if i don't what if that's not where I'm meant to be. And that that's tough. I, you know, there is marriage is a wonderful and beautiful thing. And companionship is incredibly important and powerful. And to, to say that that's not where you're called and, you know, you live it out in different ways, obviously, but 
you know, when you're 20 and you're and you're thinking about giving it up, that seems like the end of the world some days. Yeah. Um, and that's kind of where I was at. And it was like, ooh, that's a lot. And then there was also a sense of not a sense of unworthiness in like a in a holy or unholy sense, but a, a sense of unworthiness of like, I don't have the skills. I'm not a public <laughs> speaker. I'm I'm not, you know, I, I just been doing engineering and it's like i don't know how to write a philosophy paper or a theology paper i don't know what any of this this stuff means in a, in any great depth and i'm supposed to learn it no no my mind isn't geared that way that's not how this works um you know and other realities too of like what does this financially look like you know you know who's paying for this um because, you know, I mean, the reality of, of college debt is a very real thing. Um, now, fortunately, uh, my community helps with that. And, you know, that did not become a worry for me in the long term. But, you know, when you haven't spoken to anyone, everything seems to be a big deal. Um, and that's really my first big key to people discerning is go talk to people, honestly. You know, you you have questions and, you know, what? they do seem insurmountable sometimes. And it's okay to feel that they're insurmountable. You know, good Lord knows I felt that way. But if we just stay there by ourselves, it's not going to go anywhere. It's, you know, it's going to take forever to process through that. If you go and talk to people, you know, you can kind of get a bit more of the concrete and you can get a bit more of a sense of what it's like on the ground and say, oh, okay, this this makes more sense. This These patterns uh, follow and, you know, help answer some of my questions. So, and, you know, I'm thankful that that's what I did when I, I reached out to the vocation director. I went to the come and see weekend. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I, I'm glad you bring that up because I think that those questions are a bigger hurdle than people realize. I mean, I remember when I was telling my parents um, that, hey, I think I'm supposed to be priest. I'm going to go to seminary. Um, my fear wasn't that conversation. Like that part was easy to me because in some sense I knew that they knew, right? Like, you know, you, <laughs> when you like when you get to that point and you're kind of accepting it, like you most people around you who love you and care for you usually know like, oh, this is probably where they're going. Um, mm -hmm. So that conversation didn't ter terrify me at all. But what terrified me was like, I didn't have the answer to their questions, right? Like being the good parents that they were, I knew that they're going to ask is, well, who's paying for it? Um, how do you even become a priest? Where do you go? Are you going to college? Like all of these questions and, I, and the anxiety of not having an answer to those right away um, was like one of the biggest hurdles. So I'm glad you bring that up of like, yeah, get the information talk to people and like having the information and knowing those things you're not signing your life away right like mm -hmm. like that, those all happen before you even walk in the door of the seminary and like so get those conversations rolling get them out of the way um and and i actually now that i'm reflecting on parents i, I saw your parents actually were kind of an instrumental part obviously in your initial discernment but even while you're going through do you want to share a little bit about their kind of apostolate and how they've helped yeah. so far Absolutely. Yeah. So my parents, like, you know, any parent, I think in this kind of situation have those kind of questions, you know, who's paid for it? What can I visit my child? Can I, you know, you know, do, do they still have their cell phone? You know, things like that. And so my parents established a blog called Seminarian Parents, and it was basically reflections and practicals kind of in parallel with my formation and my journey. So like a lot of the early years um of my formation experience they they had blog posts about just that who pays for it how much does it cost you know where does that come from what does 
will will my will my son be taken care of if they become a priest um and then as i got farther along you know as a lot of those practicals were answered that it transitioned more into a spiritual reflection of what does it mean to have a son who's becoming a priest what does it mean to have a child who's becoming a religious um how can you love and support them uniquely in that uh beyond just obviously you know the fact that they're your, your child um and so now there's basically just like this dossier from beginning to end and whatever question you have, hopefully there's some sort of answer in that, in that website. Uh, you know, obviously they haven't been updating it lately because they aren't seminarian parents anymore, but you know, it still exists as a great resource and they still get good traffic to it. And um, occasional emails thanking them for having that information out there. Mm, that's awesome. And, uh, it's beautiful. And, and yeah, like you said, I mean, that's one thing that whether they're updating it regularly or not, that's the definition of evergreen content right there. Like the Lord is going to mm -hmm. keep calling priests. Um, and it's awesome to see that um, there's something for the parents because, yeah, I think that that is such a like, you know, underappreciated role, right? The the parents of priests and seminarians and because there is it's like, you know, you want to help, but it's like, <laughs> I don't really know how to help in this situation. So that's awesome. Yeah, my and my parents found themselves basically doing it out of frustration on a certain level because they're like, okay, my they, our son is thinking of becoming a priest. Let's go to Google. Let's find out what we can. How do we support our son becoming a priest? Pray for them. <laughs> okay, good. What else? Pray for them. Yep. Okay, we'd like maybe a little more. So out of frustration of like the only answer that they could find. And again, prayer is incredibly important and powerful. I'm not dismissing it in any way, shape, or form. But they were like. We also have practical questions that prayer cannot answer. Yep. Okay, yeah. <laughs> we're going to answer them ourselves and give these answers out then, hmm. which is, that's awesome. is an answer to a prayer. <laughs> yeah. Hey, that's all good apostolates and ministries. Most of them come out of a sense of frustration or, hey, mm -hmm. well, this resource isn't here, so I'm going to make it myself. Um, so now, now making that switch from engineering to philosophy, and I imagine a little bit of theology, even if it was just kind of as a hobby, right? Diving into it. Um, what was that like? Mm -hmm. Cause you, it, on paper, they look really different. And obviously I, my brain lives in the philosophy, theology, theology, English side of things, um, not in any of the math and numbers side. Um, so in my head, they couldn't be any more different. Um, but what was that transition like? I mean, did you find a love for philosophy or how was that kind of shift taking place? Yeah, you know, I actually really did find a love for philosophy and I still do love philosophy. Um, I think on one hand, you know, we do get have the sense of like, oh, hard sciences and then kind of out there all thinking philosophy. So, well, actually at the core, philosophy is just logic. Like you start from a principal supposition and you kind of just flesh it out. And so in that sense, the engineering actually served me very well when it came to papers because it's like, cool, I have to construct an argument. That's just like constructing a proof. You know, you you start with your givens, you make your argument, you find your variables, boom, you're done. Um, the actual practical application was very different in many ways. and But that's one of the things I really loved in the end. Um, you know, where I went to school, Utah State, it's a great engineering school, but, you know, classes were 300 people. So you don't get to know anyone, you know? Like, I literally, I went to class with my roommates, uh, which was a lot of fun, but, like, I didn't meet anyone else and, you know, didn't really feel like I had a relationship uh, or a peer network or anything. So when I switched to philosophy, you know, at a school of probably 20, 25,000 students, there were 42 who had either a major or a minor in philosophy. Wow. 
that was it. So we were very small, very tight knit. Um, and I think that really helped in a great sense because we could, we had that peer network and we could go to each other and be like, I do not understand what Hume is talking about. Please help me get this, you know, work. Can you help me out? Um, and we really did work out for you, look out for each other. It wasn't competitive in any way. It wasn't a, who got better on, on the tests or the paper. It was like, a Hey, what kind of weird subject are you writing on for your paper? And we'd go, we'd play bowling. And so I really found community there, honestly, is what I found, which I didn't have in philosophy, uh, or, or in engineering. Um, but I also just found a great love of that sense of just asking those questions and kind of seeing where they go, but also sometimes being willing to that, that willingness to ask a question and be like, huh, I have no idea. And I'm okay with that, you know, and that's, it's incredibly frustrating to the engineering side of me because it's like, no, we have to have an answer. We have to know exactly what this thing is made up of or or how much delta V it has. But the philosophy side is like, you know, it's <laughs> yeah, all kind of, there, there's a vague shape. It's all I got. <laughs> yeah. You know, so I, yeah. I did really wind up loving philosophy. And it was also helped because two of my professors, again, there were only six professors in the wow. philosophy department. So again, we all had a very great relationship with the professors, um, and you know they'd go out to the bars with us uh, and talk philosophy. Uh, but two of them were Catholic, and so I actually wound up doing independent mm. study with them, where I was technically doing philosophy, but it was kind of like philosophy of theology. So it was like an intro to theology, um, which was a lot of fun and a great way to to prep myself for seminary. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I love that the overlap is, you know, you can try to divide it as much as you want philosophy, theology, but at the end of the day, like, they're always asking that question. And uh, it's nice when you have those resources of, you know, because it can go in so many different directions. But when you have those good Catholic touchstones of, you know, with the philosophical background, and it, the conversation mm -hmm. kind of seamlessly flows into it. Um, so now take me through formation. What was that like? So you're out of college and now you're, you know, in polished formation. Um, what mm -hmm. does their particular formation look like? Yeah. So our formation, uh, like any other religious community starts with the novitiate. Uh, we don't do a postulancy because for canonical reasons, we don't have to. So we're kind of like, nice. well, let's, let's just do the novitiate and, and do all of that formation there, uh, which works well for us. Um, so we do a one-year novitiate, uh, and that's at Washington, D.C., at our House of Studies um, in the early 2000s. We used to have a separate novitiate, but we decided in the early 2000s because of smaller numbers and you know maintaining a physical site and all that to close the New Jersey place, but also to combine it in with the D.C. house. And I think that's actually a really a blessing for us because then you have guys who are in temporary profession um, kind of looking out for the new novices and being like, Hey, we're going to show you the ropes. We're going to, we're going to help you. Um, so I really appreciate that. But the novitiate was really a year of, uh, study and prayer and light ministry, uh, just to kind of see what it's like, you know, live with the community, see if it was a good fit, uh, learn about the history, the spirituality, what it means to be a priest today. Um, we helped out at a, uh, food bank and a um, little sisters of the poor retirement home. We'd go and visit people. That was kind of our ministry. Uh, so, you know, nothing like super intensive, but still a good experience of both serving the poor and serving, you know, those who are kind of homebound and, and in need of companionship. Um, and then at the end of that year, we made our profession. 
and then we do two years of study in theology, three if you need to do some philosophy. Uh, we study at Catholic U, uh, which is a great experience because, um, A, great professors by and large, and B, the fact that it wasn't just us. You know, there's yeah. Yeah. the diocesan formation house, theological college, there's the Paulus Formation House, there's the Dominican Formation House, the Capuchin Formation House, the Conventual Formation House, the Benedictine Monastery is there, uh, the Oblates of St. Francis de Sales are there. Um, I think there's a couple others. Oh, Marianists are there. Um, there's a Maronite Seminary that studies there. So we have all this diversity of uh, you know, spirituality and background and views and locations. Um, so that when we got into pastoral discussions in class over, you know, how do you handle this? We really did get some great different views of like, you know, okay, well, this is how, you know, someone in Texas would handle it versus this is how someone in Maine would handle it versus, yeah. you know, a Franciscan in California would handle it. <laughs> um, and kind of getting that great, uh, perspective and just seeing like what what can we draw from all of this um after that we do a pastoral year uh so we spend one year working in one of our parishes or foundations uh working full-time and that's a great experience because it's really that kind of practical of is this the kind of life i think i want to live you know um uh so i spent my year at uc berkeley at the newman center at uh, uh holy spirit uh parish uh, great experience working with the the students and working with the resident community there. Um, and, it, you know, it really did help with a lot of those, like, what does a daily life look like? A seminary is not what a, a priest's life looks like. Um, so then it was back to seminary for two more years of study. Uh, and in your final year with the polis, you make your final profession. Um, so you promise to be a polis for life. Uh, and the very next day, you get ordained to the diaconate. And then you finish out your academic year, and at the end of that, you get ordained a priest, and then you get sent on your way and head out into the world. <laughs> yep, and then it's a whole new world, and, and yeah, you're right. That, that's and always relearn hard everything. To... Yep, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> um, so now, when you're going through that, right, all those years of formation, um, what are some of the confirmations that you're getting of, hey, I'm in the right place, right? Like Father Evan mm -hmm. is more and more clear, and I can see that I can see the black and the collar and all of that um and then what are some of the things that you're like ah, i don't know i you know mr evan Cummins sounds really good right now and what, <laughs> what was kind of the uh conversations internally going on that were kind of between the two yeah oh that's a great question um i think one for the confirmations it's going to be internal and external and, and that sounds like i'm saying everything but it's not Internally, you know, are you at peace with it? You know, was I at peace? And and I would say most days I was there. Obviously, you know, no life is perfect, and I'm there. There are days where I was like, ah, am I sure this is really what I want to keep doing? Um, you know, but by and large, finding that sense of peace, that sense of joy, and saying, okay, yeah, in the midst of all the craziness and all the the hecticness, the stressfulness, I still want to get out of bed and do this in the morning. You know. Um, so that, that's an important thing to pay attention to. And, and also internally that sense of, you know, what is my sense of the Holy spirit within me? You know, is, is this helping me resonate and find the presence of the Holy spirit within myself, uh, and be fruitful in a life of prayer and ministry, or is it creating a wall or is it obfuscating or am I, 
you know, am I doing this because it looks like I'm being prayerful, even though I'm not, you know, and that's a real question. Sometimes you have to ask. Um, and then sort of external is, you know, are the people of God saying good things about you and not in a sense of, you know, trying and build up, um, you know, people surrounding you only saying positive things, but like genuinely, you know, are the people of God happy and thankful that you are there? Are they, do they appreciate what you're doing? Do they appreciate, uh, you know, the, uh, the content for lack of a better word that you're producing and are they, um, you know, being fed by that is, is it helping them to grow closer to God. And, you know, you can, by the time you're on a pastoral year, you know, I, I'd been with the Paulus from Novitiate on for about three years already. So like, you know, Novitiate, maybe those questions were a little bit harder, but by the time I was in a pastoral year and especially uh, later in seminary and even now it's like, okay, I know how to, answer these questions and look for these answers um and and see that yeah this this really is a good thing and that you know it it is resonating the holy spirit is present in me is present in others and is elevating what's going on um so mm -hmm. yeah no i'm glad to bring that up right and i think that like the parallel right is in the dating world right if you're going out and like <laughs> every date you go on is a disaster um or like you know you're out and it's you know obviously the dating world is a bit of a struggle but like you sure. start to get a sense of things that like you're like oh maybe i should work on this or hey maybe i should adjust the approach and like i think people forget that you know it's um seminary formation or religious formations the same way of you don't just like show up and get married right like no there's mm -hmm. a dating and discernment process and um the beauty of it on the religious and uh seminary side is it's both sides right like not only is it the individual discerning but also it's the church and the order discerning that individual um mm -hmm. and it's one of the beautiful things right and i think that that's where you get a lot of harmony because both sides are saying hey is the spirit working here um now take me through um the day of your final profession and ordination what were those days like uh bit of a blur to be honest <laughs> That's great. That's that's a good answer. That's probably the right answer, right? Yeah. Then, like you're there so, and you're present. So final profession was on a Friday, uh, Friday, August 31st, and or diaconate was September 1st. Um, so unfortunately, like the whole week leading up, I was in class. Mm -hmm. And like, you know, it's it was like the second week of the semester. So it wasn't just like the syllabi. It was like, oh, I actually have homework I need to be doing. Um, and so, you know, you're really focusing on that. And you're, you want to be all in on prayer getting ready for this. You're like, nope, life is also happening. Um, but and then families arriving. And it, so, you know, a lot going on. And it it was a bit chaotic, but it was also beautiful. Um, and it was intense. Like, I, I remember I was Nervous isn't quite the right word, but I was very overwhelmed with what I was saying and what I was doing uh, when I made my final profession. Because, And part of it was I was doing it alone. Um, so I was the only one in my class to make final profession that year. Uh, and so I was standing up there reading the, the promise out loud to a chapel full of people. You know, my hands were shaking a little bit. It's <laughs> like, oh, this is a lot to take in. This is, you know, and I imagine, you know, it's probably how married people feel what you know especially guys when they see their their soon to be wife coming down the alt coming down the aisle to the altar 
you know, I've seen guys cry and handshake. It's like, it's probably a very similar feeling of, wow, this is amazing. This is beautiful. Oh my gosh, this is overwhelming and intense. <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, I don't want to run, but I feel like running and, but it, it's a good kind of run, you know, that, mm -hmm. that sort of sense. Yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. So that was, um, it was good. And then, uh, and then, you know, great meal afterward and just getting to, to say hi to so many people who had been part of my journey and thank them. And then the next morning to uh, go to the Basilica of the National Shrine of the Immaculate Conception uh, and, you know, be ordained a deacon there alongside other religious. Um, so there were two Marianists and one Franciscan. Uh, and I'd been in a lot of classes with Franciscan, so we, we went way back. Um, and so just really, honestly, a beautiful, moving experience of the presence of the Holy Spirit. Um like especially during the litany of the saints, I could definitely feel the the presence of the Holy Spirit there. Um, and again, just great joy getting to go out and you know be with family and afterward and celebrate and also go take a nap. Um, you know, it was it was a beautiful weekend, but also just kind of a lot. So it kind of made it a bit of a blur. Uh, and then nine months later was was priestly ordination, and we do that at our mother church here in New York, uh, which is a stunning church. I think it is my favorite church in all of Christendom. Um, but just to be there and to have that spiritual connection where it's like, you know, how many generations of Paulus have been ordained priests yeah. here? How many Paulus have celebrated mass here? The fact that our, our founder lived there and celebrated mass there, um, you know, to have that spiritual connection, to pray at his tomb, uh, before the ordination and, and ask for his intercession in my ministry, um, just truly a beautiful communal event. And then the number of people of the parish who showed up because, uh, you know, they're very supportive of the polis, but also the fact that I had served there uh, the summer before as a seminarian. So like I knew a ton of people. Uh, and so when they found out when it was, they were all there. Um, so it was a, a full house. And again, just kind of that beautiful, amazing moment of, it was very joyful. Um, I think diaconate, I would describe almost more as sublime. Whereas priestly, I would describe more as exuberantly joyful. Um, it was really just, again, awe-inspiring to, to stand at the altar for the first time as a priest and con celebrate. Um, but just to have that presence of the Holy Spirit. And uh, Cardinal Dolan ordained me, and every year on my anniversary, I actually go back and rewatch the video of it so mm -hmm. I could... Uh, listen to the homily just i don't watch the whole thing um because <laughs> it's like two hours long but i do watch the homily every year on my anniversary because it, it, he had a beautiful message say uh that you know um that continues to speak to me and to my identity as a polist uh he drew in on hecker and so it's really beautiful um and then the next day to sell preside at mass for the first time as a priest um was amazing and i remember uh, our, we had the presider chalice pretty full. Uh, and I remember at the, the doxology at the elevation of the gifts, I'm holding them up and I'm so nervous. My hands are shaking and all I'm thinking at this point is, you know, it's like, okay, I gotta get through the lines through him and with him and in him. And I want to make it look good because it's my first mass, but also my hands are shaking. So I gotta be careful. So I don't spill any, any of the precious blood, you know, that would be bad. <laughs> so it was, it was kind of a lot of like, just the, the overwhelming awe of getting to preside at mass and also the nervousness of this is my first time. <laughs> <laughs>
Yeah, no, that's beautiful. Thank you so much for sharing that. Um, because yeah, I, I think, yeah, it's one of those things. It's like, you know, those are the moments, right? Like those are people, right? We look at the priest and, you know, and we think, oh yeah, they got ordained one day, but yeah, it's like, that's your wedding day. And that's the day that, you know, not only your wedding day, but what you've spent years and years and years in formation waiting for, right? Like that's mm -hmm. the goal. Um, um, and then you realize that, oh, this isn't the goal. This is just the one step. And then you wake up the next day and have mass and confessions and you realize, oh, it's just starting. Um, but it's beautiful to hear you reflect on that. And yeah, the fact that you go back, um, and reflect on it and listen to the homily is, I think it's so important because yeah, it's awesome to see that, um, you know, as a parishioner and someone who relies on priest, um, it's humbling to hear that and know that, oh, Hey, my shepherd cares that much about his call as a shepherd, um, that it means that much. So thank you for doing that, um, from mm -hmm. a parishioner to a priest. Um, of course. thank you. Yeah. So now take me through what's the life of the priest like and you get there and, um, and now you're in no quiet place for sure. Um, yeah. I mean, you're, you're in the thick of it. What's, uh, the life of a priest in New York city like? Yeah. Uh, I'm in the heart of midtown Manhattan. It's, you know, we were a block from Columbus circle and the Lincoln performing arts center. We're an amazing location. Um, and we have an amazing community that worships with us and we're very blessed to have that, uh, day to day can be all over the place because we do uh, daily mass at both 7.30 and 12.10. And on Tuesdays and Thursdays, we do confessions after the mass as well. So, you know, just now the the blessing is that, you know, here at the mother house of the community, the headquarters, we have about 20 guys in the house. Now, obviously, many of them are retired and not really physically in, in an ability to celebrate mass. You know, one of our guys is 102 uh, and it's a blessing to have him. But he, legitimately cannot stand to celebrate mass um you know but he's still present to the people um so you know you're not overwhelmed and inundated it's not like you're doing both masses every single day for a week uh but you know your schedule can be pretty in flux because one day you'll be scheduled for the 7 30 and then the next day the 12 10 and then the next day nothing and then the next day the 7 30 again um and so there's not really like a set daily schedule uh, we have morning prayer at the house at 8.45 every day um, where we do, you know, just liturgy of the hours. Uh, and we try to gather at 5.45 uh, before dinner for some just, you know, some common time, watch the news, and then dinner's at 6.15. Anything in between is basically <laughs> fair game and find what you can when you can. Because sometimes, you know, I'll have meetings with parishioners or... Um, Projects to work on, obviously, homilies to write, uh, marriage prep cases to be working on, uh, do a lot of that in the evening. I work with the young adult group in the parish, which is fantastic. They're called Apostolist, uh, and they meet every Wednesday, so that's pretty regular. But, you know, other other days, it's like, you know, last night we did a Mardi Gras party, and so that was just a random extra event on a Tuesday. Um, a lot of fun, though. I cooked I cooked about 150 pancakes, so we had a good oh, time. Geez. Yeah. Um, but then also I'm working with Busted Halo. So I also have to navigate the reality of like fitting in the work I do over here in the Busted Halo office uh, and the media work I'm doing. And like I mentioned earlier, I stream on Twitch three days a week. And so I have three periods blocked out each week, uh, Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday from two to four uh, Eastern time where it's like, I am not scheduling anything because <laughs> this is when I'm making my content. This is when I am going live. I cannot change that. Uh, mm -hmm. unless there's a literal emergency. Um, so I just 
but again, then I also have to work around that and be like, okay, where does the homily work go? Where does the this go? You know, it's it's very fluid, and you don't necessarily uh, try and have a strict schedule that looks the same every day, but you kind of just respond to the needs and uh, and to the needs of yourself. You know, I I set out time to be like, okay, this is when I'm going to exercise, and some days that's first thing in the morning when I get up. Sometimes it's not until you know four o'clock in the afternoon, but you know, you got that. You fit it in there and it's important stuff because it all works together uh, because, you know, self-care is important and so that you can give of yourself to others. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. No, and I'm glad that, you know, it's it's funny to hear it's good that chaos keeps you young, keeps you on your toes and uh, <laughs> yep. keeps you fresh. Now, I'm glad you brought up uh, both Busted Halo and Twitch, but um, let's dive into the, the Twitch streaming a little bit. Um, mm -hmm. Share a little bit about, I guess, kind of what it is, right? I, I imagine sure. that now it's kind of a, a commonplace, uh, but for some people who may not know what Twitch is, and then also um, why you feel that's important, right? Given that a lot of this conversation is on discernment, how did mm -hmm. you discern that, hey, this is something that um, I think the Spirit's leading me to, um, and what are some of the fruits you've seen from it? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so uh, Twitch, for those who don't know, is a live streaming platform geared towards gaming. It's not exclusive for games, but its culture is predominantly around video games and all of that. Um, and I think what I was discerning was really, one, uh, I have a natural affinity for that. You know, I grew up playing video. I literally don't remember life without video games because <laughs> my parents owned them before I was born. Um, and so it's just been a very natural part. And, you know, I've hung out on Twitch. I've, you know, I've been a part of that culture. It's kind of, and kind of in that hacker question of like, how can I combine faith and culture here? You know, what what can be brought together? And I found a, a need because I found a few priests uh, who were live streaming, um, most notably, um, of course, his name escapes me as soon as I, Father Bill Kessler, Father Bill Kessler. And he's a great guy. He's a priest in Indiana. Um but he doesn't really do it as a ministry. He does it more as a hobby, and that's totally fine. Like that's, I'm I'm happy he does that, and he does it in collar, and he's very clear of like I'm a Catholic priest. I'm not gonna apologize for that. But he's not doing it as like a, you know, where is where is faith in this? So I found a need of like you know, there's a lot of great stories in games. There's a lot of great messages. You know, obviously there's problematic stuff. There there's questionable stuff. But there's also great stories and, and ways that we can critically engage the media we consume. So what if I, instead of looking for something to fill that void, why don't I help fill that void? Um, and so I set out uh, a proposal to our to our leadership and basically breaking down, you know, like the importance of, you know, hey, look, just the ways we create, you know, movies and television and, and radio this is the new content and none of us are making it right now. Um, I'm really well equipped to do this from the gaming side and I already have all the, that equipment and personality and, and culture. And three, there are a lot of people on this platform. There are several billion people on this platform uh, that we could reach and, and cultivate relationships with and help them to see the presence of Holy, the Holy spirit in the media they consume and and you know how much has that been a, a part of our ministry already and they they agreed and uh allowed it to they they greenlit it and and i'm really thankful for that because it's been a really fun experience um you know some people joke that it's like you know 
a dream job because I got to play video <laughs> games as a priest. And it's like, well, you're not entirely wrong, yeah. but it's also been really powerful to to look at some of these stories and and this and see what's going on and the images and the the meaning that we're finding behind them and the conversations I've had. I had a really good conversation with someone uh, who, you know, they, they openly said, Hey, I'm a Calvinist, you know, this is the background I'm coming from. And I'd like to learn more about, you know, Catholicism and baptism by desire. I've heard of this thing, but what is it? What does it mean? How do you theologically argue for this? You know, we had a very good discussion for about an hour and, you know, I'm, I'm on a microphone and they're just texting a, a chat room. We're still having this very fruitful conversation. Um, so it was really beautiful to do that. Um, but then also to, to look at the games again, you know, so one game I'm playing right now is called spirit fair. And in that, uh, you play a character, uh, who is a psychopomp. That is to say someone who ferries souls from death into the afterlife. And it's, it's a beautiful game because you're, you're on this boat and you're kind of taking care of them. You know, you're feeding them. There's a very, um, very pastoral reality of like taking care of their needs, but you're also helping them process what happened in their life and in their death um, so that they can be at peace to enter into heaven. Um, so it's very, honestly, it's very much like purgatory in some sense. I feel like it, it's a great metaphor for purgatory and it's, it's a great way of culturally looking at death and how we understand it. And, you know, looking at both the, the reality of mourning, but also the the reality of the resurrection and, and joy. Um, and so that's been a really meaningful experience. Uh, so that, and that's just one game that I've played. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, and I, I love that you touch on the fact of, yeah, the, the stories are there, right? Like, I think we think of video games and, and like movies, right? Like some of them are, you know, just, <laughs> it's what you see, They're what you see is what you get. Yeah. Um, but no, some of them are, are deep, right? I think of, you know, mm -hmm. there's that story, there's a, rather famous youtuber um who he met the pope right i forget for through what dicastery for what thing but he gave him a copy of i believe it was undertale i think mm -hmm. um <laughs> with that same premise of like hey here th this what looks like just a simple video game has all these deeper levels to it and um yeah i'm glad that you know you're somebody who's looking at it and saying hey this the spirit's working in this and we can take this out right find the beauty find the um you know virtues that are in this and why are they so popular, right? Like, why is this mm -hmm. game drawing in so many people? It's like, well, because it's speaking to something in our souls and who we are. And um, it's just, you know, just like, you know, you have people who communicate through music, through words, through poetry. Mm -hmm. um, video games are just another medium that now it's looking like, I think more and more people are starting to realize that of, hey, this is, you know, whether it's um, helpful for making analogies or metaphors, um, there's something true there. And um, yeah, it's good to have somebody on our side capitalizing on that saying, hey, let's dive into this. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, And it's it's been a great experience of building up community too. Yeah. Um, you know, not just in my chat, but like through doing this, I have found another number of other streamers who identify as Catholic on their like bios or whatever, you know, and uh, all lay people. And it's fantastic to see you know, the, the, the lay body of the church doing that kind of thing and representing the church in a positive way and, and to build up relationships with them, hang out in their chats, they hang out on mine and, and do collaborations together. Um, and to sort of build up that network of community of like, look, you don't have, if you're online as a Catholic, you're not alone. Like there are other Catholics out there and, and ways to be together. So that's been a real blessing as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I'm glad you 
point that out, right? And this is something that I've just heard from our conversation um, is there's almost a beauty of that kind of spirituality being present through your entire life of, you know, you mentioned um, growing up Catholic in, in Utah and Mormonism, right? Of being that like, you know, hey, I'm, I, I'm kind of on the outside, not really on the outside, but like, oh, there's just like, you know, it's, it's this kind of um, interesting reality where like, hey, well, the people around me don't necessarily believe the same thing. Um, it's obviously the same in ministry and, and there as well of like, Catholics are always in this in this weird place, especially I think here in America, which again ties it back to to Father Hecker of like, you know, what does it mean to be Catholic, right? It's like it, we're meant to be universal, we're meant to evangelize, but then there is a sense of like, hey, we are kind of uh, exclusive in the sense of who we are, and it is something you have to be like baptized into and brought into. Um, so it's that beautiful kind of dance between being all things for all people, but then also holding on to who we are and being independent enough to, to have something to bring people into. Um, mm -hmm. So it's a beautiful sort of spirituality that, that has come up in this conversation. I can see it through that. Um, real quick, I, I want to end with, you've done a lot of work in campus ministry and uh, with young adults and young people, um, which mm -hmm. is kind of that key discernment age. Uh, what's your advice for discernment for young people and for people of all ages, but um, discerning life's big questions, obviously state of life vocations, but just in general, what's your biggest piece of advice for somebody saying, I want to help God. I want to serve God. I want to respond to his love. How do I do it? Yeah. Uh, you know, as I said earlier, I think my biggest piece of advice is honestly talk to other people, talk to, talk to your friends and your family that you trust, uh, about what's going on internally. Um, if you have questions about religious life or priesthood, go talk to a vocations director. That's the job of vocations directors to help you in in that discernment, their job is not to to get you to sign up as quickly as possible. Like, their job is to help you find what ultimately fits. Um, you know, try it out. You know, if you're at a place where you can't, where you've been discerning for a while and you're kind of on the fence, try it out. Worst case scenario, what you walk away and say, "Well, that life isn't for me," but I've learned some wonderful life lessons. Seems pretty good to me. Um, and ultimately, you know, just continue to cultivate your relationship with God. You know, I think to say pray is perhaps a little obvious, but, you know, be intentional about your prayer. Be intentional about going to Mass. You know, try to make going to daily Mass uh, a thing more regularly or, you know, participation in confession or, you know, some way of just deepening your spirituality and and listening to that indwelling presence of the holy spirit um so that would those kind of be my top pieces of advice awesome i love it it's uh it's beautiful no matter how many conversations like this i have um there's always that right it's always that underline it comes back to that of you know prayer community um you know sharing and it's beautiful because it, it speaks the truth to it of like at the end of the day it's like <laughs> the god who made us is the god who loves us and is the god who gives us our vocation um so if you know that god and you trust that god like wherever you end up is where you're supposed to end up so um mm -hmm. thank you for sharing that and it's uh it's awesome to see and uh i could keep you here all day but i know that there's a lot of people in uh your busy city who uh who need you more work probably a little done. bit more yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, Father, if people want to follow you along on this journey and, and get some of your awesome insights, where can they find you? Yeah, uh, you can find me on Twitter at uh, FREvanCSP, as well as uh, on Twitch at FREvanCSP. Uh, 
I'm live Monday, Tuesday, Thursday from two to four uh, central time. But you can also find my contact info uh, on the about page at bustedhalo.com or the church, uh, stpaultheapostle.org uh, contact us page. So I have many emails, many hats. Yeah, it's good. A lot of ways to reach you. Um, mm-hmm. Awesome. Well, yeah, I know I can't echo um, it enough of like, if you haven't checked out Busted Halo, a lot of their stuff is great. I used so many of the infographics and all the different things when I was teaching. Um, so yeah, I commend you on that content that y'all are putting out because it's just good. It's just quality, right? Like, and that's one of those things is you mentioned it when you looked at the polis and you said, huh, their Wikipedia page, their website is nice. It, it's appealing to look at. I want to learn more. Um, that's definitely continuing through Busted Halo. So thank you for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're most welcome. I'm glad to hear you're using those resources. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, Father Evan, uh, it's been a pleasure, and I can't wait to see your ministry continue. And hope that uh, one day, next time in this city, I'll definitely swing by and uh, hopefully have this conversation in person. Sounds wonderful. Thanks so much for having me on. Of course. Thanks, Father. Take care. God bless.